0: We can't just survive today. We need to find growth. We need to pivot. We need to be agile. We need to be transformative in our lives, in our careers, and our companies. And today is the day to do that through CoElevation.
1: Welcome to Elevate, a podcast about achievement, personal growth, and pushing limits in leadership and life. I'm Robert Glazer, and I chat with world-class performers who have committed to elevating their own life pushing the limits of their capacity, and helping others to do the same. Welcome to the Elevate podcast. Our quote for today is from Ken Blanchard. Nice guys may appear to finish last, but usually they're running a different race. Our guest today, Keith Ferrazzi, is one of the world's most influential thinkers on the power of relationships in business and in leadership. He's an entrepreneur who founded and sold two companies and now works with Fortune 100 companies and their executive teams worldwide as the chairman of Farazi Greenlight and its Research Institute. He's the author of the New York Times' number one bestsellers, Who's Got Your Back and Never Eat Alone? And his new book, Leading Without Authority, was just released today. Keith, welcome. Excited to have you join us on the Elevate podcast.
0: Oh, Bob, thanks. I've been really looking forward to this.
1: So I I like to start at the beginning. Tell us a little bit about your early life in school and what interests you. And were you a good student, bad student? How'd that go for you?
0: You No, there's there's a real relevancy there, by the way, because as I've been thinking recently and writing a new book, my narrative really started when I was probably about eight years old, sitting at my dad's table at dinner, where he would come home from the steel mill. I grew up in Pittsburgh back in the 70s, and it was a pretty troubling time. The steel industry was crashing around us. Jobs were going overseas. There was a lot of unemployment. And my dad would come home, and he would commiserate on the fact that he saw things going on in the workplace that he knew were hurting his company. It was called Kenna Metal. But back then, you didn't ask the worker, yeah. right? <laughs> And I made a commitment early on. I didn't realize what I was doing, but I made a commitment early on to get into politics, I thought. But I was going to come back and I was going to make a difference in the lives of people in Pennsylvania so that people in Pennsylvania would no longer be economically disadvantaged like this. And I spent my entire life with that passion. I went, you know, because of an early success I had with getting to know the right people accidentally on the golf course as a caddy. It's a great story I tell about a woman named Mrs. Poland who really opened up my, the world to me by making an investment in me. But the reason she made an investment in me, and we can talk about it, is because unbeknownst to me, I was more generous than the rest of the caddies. I showed up early. I walked around the golf course. I just did it because I thought working your ass off was the right thing to do, right? My dad always taught me that. He would always say, show up at the golf course a half an hour early. And by virtue of that, she in, did invest in me. She introduced me to people. Long and the short of it, ended up going to an all boys private boarding school and then Yale University because of that tipping point relationship. And over the years, I've looked and discovered how advantages can be had in individuals' opportunities. I wasn't born into opportunity; I had to create it. And so, when I wrote Never It Alone, it was about how do we create our own opportunity in our life. And then I went on to write who's got your back. And it was all about how do we take the strongest relationships and make them even stronger to lift us up. And it was at that time that I created the word that is a, you know, one could call it a derivative of your space, but it is a word that I consider really the North star of my life. And it's how people co-elevate. How do you elevate with others? And that's been the essence of everything that I do. How do you reinvent yourself? with and through others? How do you meet transformative outcomes with and through others? How do you become radically adaptable to see growth opportunities and avoid risk uh, with and through others? And I think that right now, the principle of co-elevation is never more important because we've just gone through this pandemic and how many of us still have opportunity and growth to find. We can't survive today. We can't just survive today. We need to find growth. We need to pivot. We need to be agile. We need to be transformative in our lives, in our careers, in our companies. And today is the day to do that through co-elevation.
1: So we'll we'll dig into that a little bit. I want to just, from a timeline standpoint, so you, you spent the majority of your career as an entrepreneur, but you actually had a pretty impressive claim as an employee. I think you were the youngest CMO at Deloitte. How old were you and how did you work your way up to that level at such a a young age, and then and then you wrote the book. Did you write the book right after that experience? What what was the timeline?
0: Yeah. So, well, it was, the book was written because I had that experience. So, yeah, I was stupidly young when I was an officer of a company. I was at Deloitte. I was just a kid, and unbeknownst to me, I didn't have a word for it. But I practiced co elevation. I reached out to the chairman of the company when I was in my early twenties, as an intern from Harvard Business School, and I said to the CEO. What do you want your legacy to be? I did this actually at a cocktail reception. I said, What do you want your legacy to be, sir? And he said, Well, someday I want Deloitte to be at par with McKinsey and Accenture. Back then it was called Anderson Consulting. Yeah. And I said, Interesting. And I logged that in my head and I went back to business school and I enlisted in a course on service quality. And I asked the professor if I could do a research project on the best practices. Around service company uh, marketing, and I researched McKinsey, I researched Accenture, I even talked to the chief marketing officers of those companies, told them that I was you know a kid from Deloitte, they didn't give a damn, they didn't <laughs> imagine, and that I was writing a paper for Harvard, and that I would share with them the information. Well, I wrote this amazing compendium on what best practices marketing looked like in professional services, and I sent it to Pat LaCanto, the CEO, it blew him away. He invited me down to dinner one-on-one. And not only did he say, Keith, I really want you to come here and work at Deloitte full-time because I'd only been an intern. He said, Keith, I want you to work on a marketing project for the company and really helping define marketing. And I said, I'd be happy to, sir, but would you make me chief marketing officer? He said, that's ridiculous. Absolutely <laughs> not. Uh, you're just a child. And he said, nonetheless, you'd have to be a partner to be, you know, a CMO here. And I said, well, make me partner. He said, shut up. So I came in to work for him. And two years later, I was the chief marketing officer of the company. And um, then I went over to become chief marketing officer of Starwood Hotels based on relationships I had with a dear friend of mine, Tad Smith, who's had a great career. He was the CEO of Sotheby's and a bunch of other companies. And uh, he had already been at at Starwood. Mentioned me to Barry Sternlicht, the CEO there, and here I was, another incredibly stupid young person. But everybody was over there at Starwood at the time. Barry was a very young CEO, uh, very audacious, and uh, I became CMO and head of sales there. So when I exited, somebody from Inc. Magazine called and said, "Hey, you've been ridiculously successful, very young. Could we write an article about you?" And I said, "Uh, uh, "Sure." And an article was written by this um, incredibly talented writer named Tal Raz. And Tal got it all wrong. (laughs) He got it all right (laughs) for ink. Um, But he focused on the swashbuckling, braggadocious kind of nature that I was. I was a very audacious young man. Still probably am. But the focus was really more on the ostentatiousness of it. And I didn't feel that he had really gotten the essence of it right, which was, it's really about leading with generosity. It's really about leading with service. It's about being vulnerable. And it was really upset by the brand that was pictured, but it was perfect for ink. And as a result, it was one of the most sought-after pieces in ink (laughs) magazine ever. And I hated it, and I hated it. All for it. He, knew what, he knew what sold. He knew what sold for his audience. Yeah. And then a publisher called me and said, I want you to write a book because we love this ink article. And I said, no. I said, <laughs> no. It's just like I'm so embarrassed as it is. I hate this article. And they said, we'll give you a quarter of a million in advance. I'm like, yes, yes. It's <laughs> exactly what I want to do. So then uh, uncharacteristically clever, which I'm not usually this clever, and against all of my friend's advice, I went to Tall and I said, Tall, I want you to write this book because you got the message all wrong, which he disagreed with, but you are a brilliant writer. And I want you to write my book. He was a kid. He was just a kid making, God, he was making less than, I don't know, he might have been making 30,000 bucks or something. I have no idea what he was making. But I basically matched his salary and um, had him come in and write the book. And now he's one of the most prolific and successful ghostwriters in the world. And he made my book and my story and my life uh, one of the most successful books ever written, period. Clearly, it is one of the most successful business books of our day.
1: Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Two years ago, I bought a dual suspension mountain bike for the first time, and it pushed me to ride trails that I had never been willing to try before. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things I've seen the new Lexus GX popping up all around my town, and not only does it have the capabilities to take you to new places on and off the road, but it's a great-looking car. The new Lexus GX is ready to raise the bar for you. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Harvard Business Review provides information, tools, and practical advice on leadership, management, and strategy through the hbr.org website, their print publication, and their podcasts. HBR.org is your go-to for leadership and business management articles. A recent favorite is Stop Eliminating Perfectly Good Candidates by Asking Them the Wrong Questions. Then there are other world-famous case studies, which premium subscribers can access as well. HBR produces a number of leading podcasts, from HBR on Leadership to my favorite, the HBR IdeaCast podcast. A subscription to HBR also includes access to videos, The Big Idea, HBR Magazine, and a wide variety of newsletters. While much of the Harvard Business Review content is available for free after signing up at their site, subscriptions to unlimited content start at only $10 a month. Go to www.hbr.org subscriptions and enter promo code Elevate right now to take advantage of this great offer. Again, go to www.hbr.org subscriptions and enter promo code Elevate to learn more about this great opportunity to help manage your career and business. I think I was probably around the same age you were CMO. I was I was reading that book uh, for the first time. Your book in your and, crib. You're in your crib. Yeah, and you know it really was transformative to me. I I, I tell everyone that they should read that book and they should read Dale Carnegie's book uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People because they really focus on developing meaningful relationships, and a lot of the stuff that I had seen, networking groups I've been to, books were just, it was about getting leads uh, and about, it was very transactional. And I just, the principles of your book really changed how, how I approached that.
0: You know, and, and I thank you for that. And I've been, I, I really do feel, and I, I'm not saying this in a bragging way, I'm saying this in a humble way. I feel like I could drop the mic and walk off the planet and I will have made my impact um that book that book has changed so many people's lives it's given introverts a path to opening up their life and their opportunity and success i mean i i am i was in vietnam a year or two ago and just um at the gym in vietnam and this young lady comes up to me and she has a copy of my book in vietnamese that she it was totally ragged beaten up i think a a missionary had left it in her hometown where she grew up and she had found this and, and read it and it gave her the courage to leave her town and come to the big city. And she was leading that gym. She was a manager of that gym, but this happens to me all the time. And it's, and, and really the essence again is that, and that's why I was so upset with the characterization in ink magazine
1: But I love how you separated, by the way, great leadership example. You separated the guy's talent from what he wrote and went to him and said, you got it wrong. I want you to write my book. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Because I really wanted that storytelling, that capacity that he had for storytelling was unsurpassed, but he just missed something or he maybe got it, but he didn't care to reveal it. And that was what I wanted to get out. And that's why the book was resonant to you because you saw, as I saw networking as a, transactional usury thing. It wasn't co-elevating. Yeah. I mean, the principle of going higher together needs to be the North star of all of our relationships. Every relationship we have should be in service of co-elevation. Yeah. And you shouldn't
1: be, you know, I think the thing, the people that you, you want to run away from, are they, you know, the people who don't stay in touch, don't, do anything, you know, and a lot of people now, I think, overdo this, but try to give to your network before you take. But they come networking when they need something, right? They're now looking for a job and they go do the circuit.
0: What do you mean some people overcome, overdo it? I'd love to hear (laughs) what your perspective is on that, like an example.
1: So on on the sort of giving to their network? Yeah, where you see some people overdo it. I'm curious. I think they misuse it rather than they overdo it, right? So sometimes you can actually make the situation worse. So a lot of the best networks I know, they they believe in the double opt-in intro, making sure both parties have value from the transaction. So, you know, if I'm getting to know you, uh, you know, I make some intros for you to earn your. Favor that sort of burns someone else <laughs> in the network because I'm I'm saying oh you know I you know I know you wanted to talk to this guy and that guy did not want to talk to you so I think they're doing the right thing for the wrong reasons it's kind of the spirit of law versus the letter of law versus some people that yeah. really will just selflessly give to their network and then hope that one day it gets back versus saying oh you know what the first thing I'll do is just make some intros for this person right but those intros may actually benefit that person and not the other
0: person. I see. I got you. Okay. Okay. Listen. I mean, it's really all about sincerity of intent. Yeah. And I feel that it will really shine through if your intent is sincere.
1: So you talked about a re- in those but you talked about a relationship action plan. Can you talk a little bit about what that entails?
0: Yeah, a relationship action plan is the recognition that if financial planning is important you know you focus on your finances it's important you do financial planning anything that's important in your life you have a designated focus around it yet that's not true for relationships we think of them as serendipitous accidental and what i hope and i what i help teach organizations leaders individuals is that your relationships are such a primary asset let's not be serendipitous Let's not be accidental. Let's be purposeful and planned. To be purposeful and planned does not mean fake. It means right. it's important, right? So that's the focus. And um, the, the formula I talk about is a relationship action plan. Number one, get focused on what you want to do. Once you get your focus, start identifying individuals that will help you get there. Yeah. Once you identify individuals who help you get there, don't reach out to them and ask them to help you. Reach out to them and help them, right? So be of service and even better, co-create. What if you can find a shared, aligned way to work together and co-create together, right? And there are people that are disproportionately connected. You should definitely get to know those individuals, right? Because they become connectors. I am one of them. You know, I know a lot of people. Bob, you are too. I mean, you're very generous with your connections. You and I have been talking about my new book coming out. You've been very generous around your willingness to open up your network, et cetera. So, and then have an outreach strategy, which like you say, stay in touch, right? You've got to stay in touch with people. And, uh, and then you've got to consistently re-look at these things. It's not a one and done. You know, it's not something you've done once and you're done done. You not need to stay on top of this just like you would annual strategic planning. It's a relationship action plan.
1: Yeah, and you know... <laughs> The thing that I think a lot of people miss, right? Because if it's an asset, then you should have an action plan is is sort of making that connection, right? So, yeah, I, I've been helpful to you, you,'ve been helpful to me. We're both interested in in leadership. We have sort of common passions. But if I reached out to you and said, i'm you know I'm writing this new book on like soy ink dyes that I'm really passionate about, you know, Keith, could you you know endorse it? you'd probably be like, why, if you've looked about me <laughs> background I me mean, like I have no interest in soy ink dye. So I, I actually think that's something that people miss too is making sure, you know, that that your ask is connected to something that's important to that person. It's well, not
0: again. That's the point <laughs> of leading with generosity. Yeah. You know, you lead with generosity. You need to make sure that the ask is relevant and ideally beneficial. Right. right. Look, I mean, me being on your show is a win-win yeah, I mean, it's good for you. It's good for me. And it's a perfect opportunity to serve each other. And it's nice when you can find those because you know, and it's sometimes it's nice just to be of service yep. where it's yep. not helpful to you, but it is helpful to another person. So it's uh, you know leading with that kind of of outlook is really important. I, I give this
1: example a lot because again, I, I love to help people, but someone will reach out to me who is a loose connection that maybe I haven't talked to and seven or eight years, yeah. and they'll, they'll say, hey, I'm, I'm looking for a new CFO job. Like, do you know any good companies? Do you know who's hiring? Do you know otherwise? And I kind of look at that, and I and here's a couple things, and, and I'll just share this honestly so people understand the perspective of what comes into my mind. Like, one, I don't know who's hiring for a CFO, because that's, <laughs> that's not what I do. Yeah. Two, it seems like you're asking me to do the work that you really don't want to do. It just seems like the the O for three in the relationship world.
0: <laughs> People get this wrong all the time. It's an art yeah. form, right? And by the way, if you called me and said, I'm writing this book on soy, <laughs> right? Yeah. I'd say, well, you know, I know Jim Fitterling, the chairman of Dow. Would that be helpful, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'd be there for you if I could, because we built enough currency and enough authentic relationship. I mean, right? you don't, you and I don't go back many decades. Yeah. We've gotten to know each other as professionals. We're both in the same space, but we're good people and we try to help each other and you can see that we help others. So I would go extra further for you. Right. Yeah. And you know, some people just don't get it and that's fine. That's why you and I write what we write and teach.
1: Yeah. So then your next book, who's got your back. You talked about actually how you need to build This sort of takes it beyond right. Your trusted team of, of advisors. So What are the types of qualities that are important in the deep networks of the high achievers that you've seen?
0: Yeah, what I found out was that as I went deeper in this principle, I I started a company called Farazi Greenlight. And its intention was to crack the code of what does it mean to be a high growth business? What does that mean? And what are the human capital? What are the behavioral elements of a high growth business? And what we discovered was that there were relational and collaborative underpinnings that were critical in growth. Today, we have three areas that we focus on when we're coaching teams. One of them is the principle of co elevation, where a team commits not only to a mission but to each other. And then there are eight attributes of that. But, and we also have a big focus on radical adaptability, someone's ability to be adaptable, to pivot, to take market information in and use that quickly. And then the third area is to be transformational in your nature, to not accept the status quo, but go to the next level at all times. And that's what we coach into people. I mean, never you alone, I hadn't started scratching the surface of those elements. I really started uncovering them in Who's Got Your Back? Because Who's Got Your Back began to be the first book that looked at the subject of how people won't let each other fail. And that's where I started to design co-elevation. But in your personal life and your business life, it was the fabric of the work we were doing with executive teams, creating a team that has each other's back. I just hadn't really codified the methodology as well at the time. Today, leading without authority, we bring it all together.
1: Yeah. And and part of having your back, I assume, is not telling you all the stuff you want to hear, I, and that you keep a network of peers and advisors who, who challenge your assumptions and push them,
0: right? Yeah. I always think of a formula where you need to develop a strength of relationship through intimacy and generosity, through that sense of authenticity, that vulnerability. That's the, the real relationship piece. But if you only have that, you will not be high-performing. Yeah. What you need is the butt kicking. What you need is the wrestling of good ideas. What you need is the challenging. If you don't have those things, you'll be mediocre. So accountability, candor, co-creation, feedback, those are the four elements of high performing individuals and teams. The relationship just gives you permission, right? And so in leading without authority, what I teach is if you want to get to a co-elevating group of people busting their butt to help you achieve greatness, then you better do all of these underpinnings. You know, there's one chapter about earning the permission to lead. And and the, the formula of that is serve, share, and care. Very intimate, very connected. But if somebody doesn't report to you, how are you getting them to bust their butt in service of a mission that you care about? Well, you better serve them and they better be seeing you busting your butt to serve them.
1: When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. It helps you identify and hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process easier and quicker. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash practical. That's linkedin.com slash practical to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, Elevate listeners, whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify is the partner you need to keep the cash register ringing for your e-commerce business. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading platforms. I advise a lot of companies in the e-commerce space and almost all of them have migrated to Shopify. And as a buyer, what I love about buying from Shopify enabled sites is that they already know who I am and I don't have to create a new account or enter all my payment info, the ShopPay service makes it faster and easier to buy, which surely helps with conversions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com elevate, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com elevate now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com/elevate. So, before we jump into the new book, which I know we're going to talk about for a little bit, you know, you made the transition to uh, executive coaching and work with some of the top CEOs and their exec teams out there. Uh, not even Fortune 500; I think it's mostly Fortune 100. At a high level, what, what are the consistent qualities that you see out of the best leaders and teams?
0: Well, I think we've codified them in three areas, as I mentioned earlier. The best leaders have the ability to be radically adaptable. They are taking in market information and all information, customer information, market information, competitive information, even innovations inside their own company, and they are willing to adapt quickly for those. Second is that they are bold. I mean, I've learned so much of this from my friend, Peter yeah.
1: uh,
0: who created the x prize singular university the book abundance etc the world is changing so exponentially that these leaders need to be exponential in their thinking and not all are but the ones that i work with become and then the third area and this is something that the artists of them recognize but not all of them do which is they've got to take their people with them and they've got to create a team that isn't just hub and spoke to them but it's a team that recognizes that they are they're each other's keepers, yeah. right? It's not just individual. And that's powerful. That is a very big deal.
1: It's not lost on me. That, that, so your book launches this week. So you're writing this book, Leading Without Authority. At a time in the world, and obviously we're in the middle of a crisis, but it seems like actually authoritarian leadership, at least at the political and government level, is, is making a comeback and it's almost the opposite of organizations, you know, where, where, you know, you, ha- you have less of it. So uh, our, is our political leadership just going the total wrong direction? Because I, I mean, there's some things we have to do now, but even before that, there seems to be sort of a, a revitalization of authoritarian leadership.
0: Yeah. And I agree. Uh, digging in our trenches has become a very welcomed political ideology yeah. and I remember when I was growing up in politics you know the Speaker of the House Tip O'Neill and the President Ronald Reagan were notorious for having significant disagreements but then chilling out at the White House at night getting to know each other and figuring out how to help the world be better right yeah that doesn't happen the way it, it used to and I think the way it should when I worked with the World Bank uh, Dr. Jim Kim who was running the World Bank at the time had a vision for taking the different parts of the World Bank, which there were three, and having them partner differently with countries, not just sitting back and receiving grant requests, but to go out and work with NGOs, private institutions, private wealth, money, and co-create opportunities to eradicate poverty. And they turned to us as the the co-elevating formula was at the core of that philosophy and yeah. We coached country leaders of the World Bank to work with countries and country leaders and presidents differently. And we were. And we were able to get funding and, and radically change the trajectory of, of world poverty through the co-elevating principles that, uh, that Dr. Kim was already evangelizing but just didn't have a word or a methodology for it or a coaching methodology for it. So I see the path, and it is my dream and a movement, frankly. I believe co-elevation to me isn't just a book I'm launching. It's a movement that needs to be brought to the world. And it will be, and I will do it. And that's why, you know, my drop the mic moment with Never It Alone, I'm glad I stuck around after that. (laughs) This is my drop the mic moment. This is our ability to bring a different philosophy of achieving extraordinary breakthrough outcomes in the world needs to happen through, through a hey, we are doing this together. We will go higher together. I don't know. I mean, I do think that this current crisis and the shutting of borders, et cetera, I understand all of these things. It does have a chance to challenge some of my philosophy. But in the flip side, you've never seen scientists work together more. Damn, you beat my question. <laughs> I, I, I was just going to go there. I was going to say, actually, you're seeing,
1: I think the paradox of co-elevation right now. You're seeing... Right. governments and stuff really locked down. But I've heard multiple people say they have never seen the scientific community open up, everyone sharing research that they would have hoarded and just with one singular goal. So I, yeah, I guess it must have you disheartened and, and you know, feeling good at
0: the same time. It will occur. <laughs> it will occur. I believe it fundamentally It will occur. And I'm going to be there. And I'm, by the way, and this is where I invite your audience, what I would invite your audience to do, and you know, this is the punch line for the, for the conversation, is I want you to adopt a set of co-elevating principles and I want you to achieve the kind of success that I had at an extremely young age and the kind of success that I bring to my clients. You know, the, the this chief financial officer of General Motors, and I use that because you think of a CFO as being the most cynical. The CFO of General Motors at the time claimed that Leading without authority and the principle of co elevation was the, one of the primary reasons they didn't go back into bankruptcy. The president of General Motors made announcements to the top 2,000 people recently that co elevation is the, is the turnkey to open up the kind of growth that they need. This was right before the pandemic. We are seeing this, and I want you to bring this in your own life. But then the next thing I want you to do, please, is I want you to join me in bringing it to others, bring it to your charities. Bring it to your school boards, bring it to how you vote, bring it to uh, your organizations, of course, right? This is a methodology, it's a different mindset, it's a different set of values.
1: If the scientific community through co elevation comes with a vaccine in nine months and does what everyone it doesn't think is possible, which may or may not happen. I mean, maybe that's your maybe the case study or your next book. Do you think that really could set the stage for helping? people to understand how we do this, you know more, or will they just go back to to what they're doing before? because i I hear that it's just absolutely unprecedented what they're doing now, and i don't I don't think a lot of people have a window into that.
0: Yeah, well, I'm glad you said that. Um, by the time your podcast airs, I am hopeful that people will be able to see the the nonprofit effort that I've created. I'm working with a lot of companies and I'm still hearing people say when we go back to work and I put out a, uh, a LinkedIn piece cause I wanted it to get quick and broad and it got viral this past weekend. And the piece said, let's not go back to work. Let's go forward to work. Yeah. And I have seen more innovation in two months than I have seen in 20 years, 10 years. Yeah. And, I am right now joining with a group of organizations associations to identify eight categorical areas that we are going to research of where are these innovations let's grab them and let's share them with everybody in sales in marketing in learning and development in leadership and teams which happens to be my expertise at Frozy Greenlight and so I'm spending a lot of my time right now launching go forward to work And I'm hopeful that it, you know, at least for a short period of time and maybe for a longer period of time, it will be a community of leaders and executives who want to make sure we don't slip back to ways that weren't actually working for us anyway. The first chapter of Leading Without Authority calls for a new way of work that we've been unfortunately clinging to the old way of work and it doesn't work. It wasn't working. (laughs) Yeah. So I am, despite all the suffering and loss associated with this pandemic, I am working my heart out to assure that companies utilize this time to relaunch how we work in a new work world.
1: Absolutely. So one of my... Favorite quotes, which you may have heard, for Charlie Munger, is "Show me the incentive, and I'll tell you the behavior." Yeah. And I know a lot of your work is really about getting people to break out of silos in companies and sort of yeah. maximization. But I assume incentives has a big part of that. So, do you have any unique philosophies on how incentives and compensation need to change if we're going to break down silos? Because I, I get, you know, in in, in medicine, I guess it's in a hierarchy of needs. So in science, it it was I guess the incentive before was for you to discover it right Now the incentive is to sort of save humanity so, so it changes it changes the behavior but h- how do you think that needs to change from where we've been?
0: yeah um, so i've been I've done a lot of work in the sales and marketing area, and' yeah. that's, that's where most people accuse people of being coin operated yeah, particularly in sales and what I've found though is that people are longing to be a part of a tribe that they can belong to and because of what you've even suggested earlier from a from the perspective of people being schismatic digging into a small groups we have less and less fewer and fewer connective points in our life our families don't eat together anymore but they do now right and yeah. then our Clubs and associations don't have the same power. Church groups have lost a lot of power over the last few decades. Belonging is tough. And somebody who brings belonging to the forefront has a lot of power. So what we do in organizations, when we help organizations transform, the first place we bring that belonging to, the co-elevation, is to the executive team. Because if they get it, it cascades. The second place is wherever it's needed. So we've worked with sales organizations and we have not re-engineered the compensation system. All we've done is, you know, it's gotten them committed to small peer-to-peer groups. So in, the, in leading without authority, one of the examples I use is Merrill Lynch. Merrill let us organize their financial advisors into co-elevating teams that committed to coach each other to lift net new accounts. And we were able to get a 50% increase in net new accounts among the teams that were in our groups. So you just take
1: away the us and them?
0: you create us. Yeah. You create us. Very powerful. And it's not done enough. And a leader who learns how to marshal us wins. I've I've really been focused on how leaders marshal co-elevation. And remember, my definition of leader is twofold. It's anybody who wants to be a leader. Yeah. Like me, when I was a kid at Deloitte, I became a leader without authority. I gained authority, but I became it without authority. And second, those who have it, if you really want to go big and bold, you don't lean on it. You don't rely on on your authority to be the thing that gives you permission to be transformative. So, you know, at Farazi Learning, it's a new website that I created. FaraziLearning.com, we're bringing tools to people on how to be co-elevating, how to lead without authority. So
1: Keith, what what does the leader do? And this will be a multifaceted question. You can pick whichever part you want to answer. I've written a little bit about... No, like I think that, me, no matter what you say, I pick what <laughs> I want to answer. That's fair. I wrote a little bit about this recently about how I think you know not everyone should lead. And there's some people who are just good individual contributors and they like doing it for themselves and the pat on their back. And there's some roles that that need to do that, but what what does the leader do when when they just see people who aren't on board with this and they're just they're about themselves and they want to maximize and they want to do a good job on themselves? Like, is there a role for people, or does it depend on on what the role is if you're really trying to to break down these these silos uh, in the organization?
0: You know, it depends on where you are. Yeah, and I think that slowly but surely it will be less and less. You'll be less and less likely to survive without a co-elevating philosophy. But right now, if you're on the executive team, no way. If you're on the executive team, you better damn well be co-elevating because sales, marketing, product, technology, if you don't interdependently create the new solution and adaptively figure this out, then your business is going to fail. So at the executive team level, it has to be co-elevating. We'll get the hell out. (laughs) and down at the level of a programmer sitting in a cube, uh, maybe sitting at home going forward, not in a cube. Yeah. You know what? Even then, think about the agile process. It's the daily stand-ups and the scrum that make everybody figure out what they should be programming again. Yeah. So, you know, from the top to the bottom, I don't know where co-elevation doesn't play. Earnest individual contributors, even at, look – In the olden days, if you were a great sales rep, you could carry a bag, you could go get your sales done, and you could make the numbers. And then what what happens now is our sales are so complex that if a sales rep isn't just the tip of the spear, bringing other experts in to create a more robust, customized solution, then they're unlikely to get the good sales. You know, even Michael Jordan, we all know this. It wasn't until Michael Jordan started passing the ball did the team start to win. Right. Michael could maximize for himself. Yeah. But it was the team's interdependence that broke through outcomes. So I think your answer is ultimately, I think you're dead meat if you don't adopt this new leadership philosophy.
1: And it's just a matter of it moving down within the organization from the top right. into production roles. Yeah. All right. And then I have a question sort of on the flip side of this. So what do you look for in your own personal and professional networks in terms of like when it's time to move on? So when someone you did rely on, you trusted, like,
0: isn't a fit anymore. You know, it's all for the time. I mean, maybe they, yeah, they, they're not a fit because you, you feel they lack integrity. Maybe they're not a fit for something purely negative like that. I used to feel that candor was important in these situations. Um, <laughs> But I often got myself into a lot of trouble where I created animosity that was unnecessary. I think letting go quietly after you've tried your earnest best. There's a chapter in the book of Leading Without Authority. There's a chapter in the book that talks about how it's all on you. Yeah, Meaning okay. it's all on you to manage the relationships of our life. There are plenty of people that, that I've worked with that are total jackasses. But because I changed who I was, I was able to work with them but I needed to work with them either that or I had to be out of the job I was in, you know? Right. So I feel that some relationships, you just have to shut, shut up. I was going to say, I'm negative. It's something really dirty. <laughs> you sometimes you just have to shut up and work with the relationship as best you can and, and maximize the relationship. But sure. If you know, I'm single now. Right. And I want a life partner who's co-elevating. And you know, I've never in my life have I been single for this period of time. And like, I started dating when I was in high school and college and, uh, but now I'm single for five years because my partner is going to be my life partner. It's going to be my co-elevating partner. When I walk down that aisle, I will know that this is my co-creator, you know? And I think we need to all develop a new standard for how the people show up in our lives, by how we show up for them.
1: Yeah, I, that that dovetails with some advice I got years ago. Do you know a gentleman named Donda Pandey? He's a fascinating guy. He's been a Hindu priest and was a Buddhist monk and he he, he just talked about, you know, re, yeah, when when a relationship has sort of run its course or is creating negative energy for you, you just remove your energy from it. You don't need a breakup, you don't need to blow up the bridge, you don't need to end it. You just need to pull your energy away from it. And that that was actually a pretty Transformative concept for me. Yeah. All right. So, last question. And this can be singular or repeated, but what is a personal or professional mistake that you've made that you've learned the most from?
0: Wow. There's just so many.
1: (laughs) That's the most common answer I get, just so you know.
0: Yeah. I mean, in my personal life, it was blaming others and not realizing that I was the consistent lack of a good partner, was me. And that could be personal or professional, not taking upon myself the responsibility of making the partnerships around me the best they can be. And that's what I really tried to, to teach in Leading Without Authority, which is how do you do that? How do you do that in practice, very practicably? I mean, I could go back to college and stupid things that I did. and You know, the other, the other thing is just not recognizing the value and the beauty of success in the moment. And lots of time, you know, I was always looking at what was next and not relishing in what was. I remember when I got my first, you know, news of there was a number one New York Times bestselling author. And, but that felt great for a half of an hour. (laughs) Ryan Holiday just said that too. (laughs) Yeah. Very similar thing. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and yet what I should have been focused on is the joy of having young women like that in Vietnam come up to me and say that I made a difference in their life. Right. And then that would be enough to keep me joyous. And I had that already, you know, and it wasn't what's next. A lot of that has come with just my own spiritual work, which maybe we could do another podcast on that all by itself. Yeah. Let's do that. We'll have you
1: back. All right. So books out this week. Uh, Where can people learn more about your work, the book, the learning? Tell us where to go.
0: Yeah, I mean, frozylearning.com will give you a direct path to some more tools and things that you can do, but just go on, on Amazon, grab Leading Without Authority. You're going to love it. I really, I'm, I'm very proud of the book. I'm excited for it. It's an easy read. It utilizes a lot of the same writing tactics of joy and fun and sort of popcorn advice that I, I did with, with Never Eat Alone, and I think it's going to be epic for you. Uh, I really do, and so... Look forward to seeing you in the pages. Oh, and I guess the last thing is, when you do, come back to me. How are you applying it? Let's create a movement here, not just an advancement.
1: All right, Keith. Thanks for uh, spending some time with us today. Loved hearing, hearing your story and uh, excited to see how the, uh, the new book takes hold.
0: You're amazing.
1: Awesome. Thanks for your time. All right, to our listeners, thanks for tuning in to the Elevate podcast today. We'll include links to Keith, uh, his book, and uh, all the information he shared today on the detailed episode page at robertglazer.com. If you enjoyed today's episode or the Elevate podcast in general, I'd really appreciate if you could leave us a review or a rating as it's the best way for new users to discover the show and the content. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, all you have to do is hit the library icon, click on Elevate, scroll down on the bottom, and you can leave a rating or review in about 30 seconds. Thanks again for your support. Until next time, keep elevating.